0: What a joy to open the Word with you all, and uh, for those of you who noticed, we weren't um, we weren't with you this week. We had several of us that were away over at uh, together for the gospel down in uh, Louisville, and uh, I gotta say, what a joy it was to be able to go down with my brothers in Christ and to be learning and growing and be fed by absolutely amazing teachers. And preachers. So, um, for for you guys who were good with us going, thank you for letting us uh, take this opportunity just to go and to be refreshed um, and to be encouraged. I do have to say that as I'm sitting there, I'm listening uh, to these incredibly intelligent and gifted men of the word as they open truth and, and teach us about Jesus and the gospel and instruct and inform our minds and nourish our hearts. I'm just reminded about how much of a knucklehead I am. And uh, I apologize. I'm not one of those amazing speakers, but I, I would say that I'm excited to open the word and I'm excited to see God's spirit speak through his words to your hearts as God draws all of us to truths that hopefully are transformative for for our hearts and our lives. So the title of our message today, Faith in Community, Live in Harmony with One Another. You know, as we enter into this discussion here this morning, the phrases that, that run through my mind, life together, in community, on mission, love God, love people. You know, these are common phrases That if you've been a believer for any period of time at all, you've probably heard at some point or another. These are phrases used by many to describe the life that we're called to live out as followers of Jesus. But what do they really mean, if we're honest? Like so many phrases used within the community of faith, these can be used ad nauseum to the point that their meaning can become lost on the hearts of the people of God. This idea of community is a popular one. It's embraced by both Christians and non-Christians alike. It communicates a togetherness, a camaraderie, a unity, and a missional commitment to the group as a whole. For the Christian, this idea of community is vital to our existence. And it's described throughout Scripture through the usage of the phrase, one another, Undoubtedly, we've read these before in our quiet times. We've heard them preached before. This concept is so important, in fact, that that you find the phrase one another used 100 times in the New Testament. 47 of those times are specific instructions given to followers of Jesus. This idea of community is a big deal. Furthermore, living and breathing and Functioning in community with one another is so vital to our existence as believers. It's absolutely critical. You know, by God's grace, as I and Jay and Jason and Lee and Dan have opportunity to preach over the course of this this next year, we're going to be embarking on a journey through some of the one another passages in scripture with the hopes of seeing Faith Church of Linden live out the call to community in a radical Christ-centered way. As God is blessing us with growth. You know, and I would ask that as we embark on this journey together, that you'd ask God to open your eyes to the ways in which he would have you live and grow in your walk with him. Which brings us to our text here this morning. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. I'd encourage you to turn there in your scripture so you can see it in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, feel free to use the the Bibles there in front of you, in the seat in front of you. Um, We're going to have the scripture here up on the screen as well. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read these, and I'd encourage you to follow along with me if you would. Paul says this. We who are strong It was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Our heading this morning comes from verse 5, and I think it's the crux of Paul's message, the crux of his challenge to this young Roman church. And on the surface, this idea of living in harmony with one another might seem like a relatively simple one. This idea of harmony, though, is an interesting word. As a musician, as one who likes to, well, I can't even really call myself a musician, as one who likes to stumble through music, as one who likes to hear good music and listen to good music, this idea of harmony communicates an idea of compliment, an idea of support, an idea of elevating the main thing, the melody, right, in music. The opposite of harmony is discord, The sound of discord in music can be really painful to our ears, right? It's hard to listen to. You know, I I love my grandma to death. She's amazing. She sings her brains out every time she gathers in worship. And she struggles to find harmony. But man, her heart is rich and full and rejoicing. And she sings her brains out. I love my grandma. I have so many fond memories of her singing to me as a little kid and just sharing in that. But relational harmony, though, relational harmony communicates a togetherness. It communicates a unity and another's mindedness, which is ultimately at the heart of Paul's challenge here to the early church. Why would he see fit to challenge them in such an interesting way? Well, you know, before we dive into the meat of our text here this morning, I I just want to lay a little bit of foundational context so we can get a backdrop of what it was that he was getting at. You know, this book was written to the church in Rome by the Apostle Paul, and it it consisted, the church at that time, consisted of a great deal of ethnic diversity. There was likely both converted Jew and Gentile alike. You see, the Jewish Christians were expelled from Rome along with the non-Christian Jews around A.D. 49. They were seen as an enemy, and they, they, were, they were kicked out of the city. And following Claudius' death in A.D. 54, just three years prior to Paul's letter to the Roman church, the Jews were allowed to return, and they were being added back into the church. And this would have had a tremendous impact on the Roman house churches that were meeting without any Jewish Christian leadership at the time. During the time of Jewish expulsion, the Gentile church would have been meeting and seeing many come to Christ, all Gentile in ethnicity. And upon ret- return of the Jews, they would have seen a church in Rome that was far more Gentile than Jew. Things were changing for their little house churches. This expulsion and return would have likely led to an identity crisis of sorts. You can imagine, right, the difficulty, this influx of hurting people prior to the expulsion the eyes in the eyes of the romans christianity would have been viewed as a subset of judaism and as the jews returned to find the church led entirely by gentile christians the non-christian jews would have a growing level of prejudice towards these returning christian jews this would have undoubtedly created a challenge to be sure there was a, a great deal of ethnic diversity there was a great deal of economic diversity. The church in Rome was living during incredibly challenging times. During, it was written around 1857. And Nero was emperor in Rome. You've likely heard some things about Nero, I'm sure. He was the emperor in Rome, coming into power around 1854. There was a lot of political unrest. There was the devaluing of human life. It was gut wrenching. I mean, you, you think we're living during tough times today? I mean, they, they were living during incredibly difficult times back then. The devaluing of human life, failing social programs, erratic and unpredictable leadership, which led to extreme poverty. So the church was pressured, to be sure, and the people that were coming in were dealing with baggage. They were dealing with struggles. They were dealing with burdens. There was social inequality. There was a lot of different things that were hitting the church from a variety of different angles. They were battling. They were struggling. They were living in the midst of an incredibly difficult climate, which led to Paul's challenge in Romans chapter 12, when he said, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wanted them to think differently, to live differently, to walk in a way that reflected a value system that was not of this world. You know, brothers and sisters, as I think about this challenge in 2022, the world in which we live is no less challenging, right? No less complicated, no less chaotic. And sadly, for for many in our natural, reclusive, Midwestern culture. Leaning into one another is a thought that is oftentimes far from our minds. Foolishly, we turn inward, and thus we fail in the silence of our own hearts. Let me urge you this morning that living as Christ followers and living in harmony with one another means rejecting the societal norms of inequality and social isolation and relational selfishness to embrace a new way, a a life-giving way, ultimately a mission-mobilizing way. And this is what God desires for all of us, to turn our worlds upside down and to give us a new passion, a new mission, a new heartbeat. You know, for the first century church, this new way would set them apart from the rest of the world. And it would enable them to live the life of faith that Jesus intended in community. Just as Paul desired this life for them in the first century, he desires it for us in 2022 and beyond. So what does this harmony look like according to the text? Well, Paul opens up in verse 1. He says this. He says in verse 1, bear with the failings of the weak. That's your first main point in your outline here this morning. Bear with the failings of the weak. Well, what does it mean to bear with? I think bearing with means a few different things for us as believers. I, I think bearing with means be patient in the struggles of others. Be patient in the struggles of others. You know, the early Roman church would have had a great many struggles as the influx of broken Jewish Christians would have had a significant impact on this young and growing body. They were feeling the pinch. They were feeling the pain. They were struggling with one another, and they were having a hard time living out the gospel and living like Jesus intended. Many people definitely equaled more burdens and Paul knew that the early church would have a difficult time integrating these new believers into their midst. Prejudice, impatience, intolerance would have been a very real battle for them living during this time. So in light of all that they were going through, he challenges them, right? Be patient in their struggles. Well, what does this look like? How are they to do this in a, in a loving way, in a gentle way, in a gospel way? What does this look like? Well, the thing is simple. If I'm going to be patient with the struggles of others, I need to be sensitive to their insecurities. As I look around to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I recognize that we're all coming with baggage. We're all coming with struggles. We're all coming with difficulties. These first century believers had a lot of difficulties. They had a lot of insecurities. And he's encouraging them. Bear with Bear with the failings of the weak. Be be sensitive to their insecurities. He wanted them to live differently. You know, brothers and sisters, as I am here before you, I, I just have to confess, I have a lot of insecurities as a brother in Christ. And I would venture to say that as we look around and we start connecting with one another and we start digging into each other's lives, I think we'd realize that in all honesty, we're broken people. And if we're going to live in harmony with one another, we need to be sensitive to the insecurities of others. We need to recognize that they are going to rear their heads. There are going to be moments in my interaction with you where my insecurities are going to come out. You know, in my flesh, I'm a people pleaser. I battle in my heart with criticism at times. It makes me struggle in my flesh. And I'm gonna need you to be an encouragement to me. And that doesn't mean that you're always patting Mike on the back and saying, Yay, Mike, good job, Mike. But it does mean that you need to recognize that when I fail you, and I will, that I need your encouragement. I need your love. I need your support. And if we are gonna be that kind of body to one another, then we need to recognize and be sensitive to the insecurities of others. We need to resist the urge. To judge in our relationships with one another. You know, if I am honest, I've had a lot of conversations with people through the years that have talked about the ways in which they have been hurt by the body of Christ. And I ask questions about, why why haven't you shared this before? And, And they say, you know what I have at my last church, and you know what happened? I got beat down for it. I got criticized. Someone who I confided in started talking to others. And before I knew it, my sin was broadcast before the whole body. And I don't want to go through that again. You know, brothers and sisters, if we're going to live in harmony with one another, then we need to, we, we need to be sensitive to the insecurities. And we need to resist the urge to judge. And we need to approach one another with loving hearts and gracious minds. We need to be quick to direct them to the truths of Scripture. You know, when I'm struggling and wrestling in my flesh, what I need more than anything else is for your loving, gracious, and kind words to direct me to to Jesus, to show me Christ as we sung about, to help me live out the truths of the gospel, to redirect my thoughts so that I might think and live in a healthy way and that I might see that Jesus is everything that I've ever needed. Not only that, I need to remind them of the truth that they are accepted in the gospel. You know, as we bear with the failings of the weak, it's gonna mean that we're, we're getting into the messy. We're getting into the ugly of one another's lives. As we press in, we need to be faithful to remind them that everything I need is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I need to be ready to act in a practical way. Recognize that the body needs you to help them carry their bags. Brothers and sisters, I need you in my life. And if we're being honest, we need one another. It's absolutely critical. And as we think about this tension for these Christians in Rome, it's important for us living in 2022 to understand that many who enter our midst are dealing with deep pain caused by the sin of others. Bearing with the failings of the weak means that I'm seeking to love and support those that God is faithful to send into our midst, being patient in their struggles and faithful to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Faith Church needs to be the best place for us to have the worst day of our lives. We've said this before. We believe it with all of our hearts. And it is critical that we recognize that we are all people in process. Just as God is making you into the image of his beloved son, so is he making your brothers and sisters. Not only does bearing with communicate this call to patience, but bearing with also means being long-suffering in their sins against you. You know, as we're bearing with the weak, it means that we are going to be sinned against. There are two universal truths that grip all of humanity and are the result of living in a sin-cursed world. And we need to be expecting it, okay? You are going to be sinned against by others until the day that they die, period. You are going to sin against others until the day that you die, period. It's a reality. Offenses are to be expected, and sadly for many in the church, in an effort to protect from those hurts, we insulate ourselves, we build up barriers and walls to keep us from being hurt again. And this is not the way of the gospel. Paul in this passage is urging them to lean in, to be be close enough to be hurt by the sinfulness of others. I know that sounds difficult to accept. But you know what we find when we do that? When we experience the sting of sin we can know the healing salve the gospel. We can administer it to one another. We can share God's truth and heal and grow and flourish and live out all it is that God has for us. What does this look like? Well, as we're long suffering in the sins of others, we're, we're, we're called to be ready to forgive being quick to forgive. And this forgiveness means I'm recognizing. I'm recognizing those hurts and those offenses. And as I think about the relationships that God has placed in my path, it means I'm thinking differently about those offenses. What did it mean for them? Forgiveness quite simply meant a releasing of debt. It means that for me as well, a decision to no longer hold the offense against their account. And I think as we're leaning into one another and we're bearing with the failings of the weak. We're bearing with the shortcomings of others. We should expect that we're gonna be sinned against. And when we're sinned against, we need to be ready to respond in a gospel way. So you might be asking yourself, how do I know when forgiveness is a struggle in my own heart? Just a few things that I wanna point us to. A couple of questions, things I asked of myself. You know, when certain, when certain situations arise, with certain individuals, am I quick to use phrases such as you always and you never? When I think about my brothers and sisters in Christ, are there certain individuals that I avoid? And I avoid them for reasons. And when things arise in that relationship, I find myself thinking to myself, you always or you never or this or that or the other. I'm struggling. Another question, do I find myself talking to others about my hurts? gossip? Do I find myself fixating on the hurts in, my, in the quietness of my own mind? Bitterness. You know, when, when triggered by the right situation, do I find myself taking my hurt off the shelf and using it as ammo to injure another? That's often my battle in my own heart. As I'm pressing in relationally with others and people hurt me, I wrestle and th- this is just an honest reflection. I wrestle in my own heart, and I say to myself, "Is it a big deal?" Uh, no, it's not a big deal. But you know what? I haven't truly released it. I haven't truly forgiven. I take that item, I put it on my shelf, and I forget about it. Until that individual does something again, then that item gets taken off the shelf and it gets used as ammo, and I blow up in an unhealthy way. It happens all too often. And I have to get on my face before God and go before my brother and seek forgiveness and repent and turn. We need to be quick to forgive with one another. We need to to be eager to run to this idea of forgiveness and be committed to it. You know, brothers and sisters, bearing with the failing of the weak doesn't mean that I'm ignoring the offenses of others. Rather, bearing with the failings of the weak means I'm allowing the fire of relational affliction to grow me into the image of God's beloved son by recognizing that God ordained this trial in my life. And furthermore, if, if God is in it, then it means that he's ordained it for my good, so I need to thank him for it. I need to forgive in prayer. And by God's grace, release the dead and ask God to teach me all that he has for me in this trial and to grant me the strength to obey him and not my flesh tendencies. This takes effort. It takes intentionality. It needs to be my heart. Not only do I need to be quick to forgive, but I need to be eager to restore. The aim in my relationship, the aim in my forgiveness. I'm bearing with the failings of the weak. I'm releasing the sin debts of others. I'm embracing them in love for the ultimate goal of restoration. I'm not pursuing my brother for the sake of easing my burden, but rather for the purpose of seeing my brother live out the truths of the gospel. Galatians 6 says, Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore him. This is part of what it means to bear with the failings of the weak. We press in with one another. My desire must be to see the grace of God flourish not only in my own heart, but also in the hearts of the weak. Earnestly seeking opportunities to pursue and restore. This kind of love is active. It's intentional. It's unrelenting. Bear with the failings of the weak. This brings us to our second point this morning. Not only do we live in harmony with one another by bearing with the failings of the weak, but we also live in harmony with one another by purposing to edify. We see this in verse 2. What does this look like, you might ask? Well, I think it's simple. Let good be our goal. Paul says in verse 2, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In order for us to fully understand what this means, I think it's important for us to understand what it doesn't mean. This does not mean merely making someone feel good in the midst of their weakness. That's not what he's talking about. This does not mean avoiding the difficult conversations that are necessary for genuine growth. This does not mean a fixation and fulfillment of the desires of another. I'm not just simply tickling someone's ears, giving them what they want. That's not what he's saying here. Rather, the good goal that ought to reign in our hearts as we relate to one another needs to be marked by a recognition that God desires to use you in the process of sanctification, making this person, making your own heart, growing into the image of Jesus Christ, God's beloved son. As Romans 8 says, Paul is clear that conformity to the image of Jesus is the work that God is ever faithful to complete. This harmoniously together mindset was meant to propel that mission through ultimately to completion. You are part of the process that God is using to bring about his greatest good in the heart of another. Love it. Lean into it. And watch God work through you. But not only that, it's a recognition that everything I think, say, and do matters. As it relates to my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's instrumental to shaping the community that God has called us to as brothers and sisters. You know, as we're seeking to evaluate how we're doing in this, this idea of building up, this idea of edifying, this idea of encouraging and admonishing and strengthening one another, I asked a few questions in my own heart just to evaluate. You know, when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, am I more prone to talk about current issues of interest than I am about things of the Lord? Am I ready to dive in deeply? Or am I easier, finding it easier to talk about things such as sports, news, current events, weather, politics, hobbies, etc., fill in the blank? Or... I get together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, am I eager to pursue? How, how was your week? What has God been teaching you? What are some of the areas in which I can press into your life this week? Eager to be an encouragement. Another question. Am I more concerned about the opinions of others than I am about pressing into the weighty issues relating to their walk with God? You know, if I ask this question, they're going to think X, Y, or Z. They might judge me. They might, they might struggle with this question. Do I hide when I'm confronted? Am I quick to deflect when approached regarding the weighty issues relating to my walk? Am I prone to transparency even when it reveals my failure? You know, if I were to use a pie chart to demonstrate the percentage of my day, the percentage of my communication that's devoted to the good of building up both others and myself, what would it reveal? That's a tricky one for my own heart. It's a difficult one to swallow. Truthfully, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things we say that are meaningless and worthless. And this is key. This idea is key to harmonious togetherness. If we are not committed to this, then we're missing the mark of biblical community. We need to let good be our goal. We need to strive to press into one another for the purpose of encouraging one another, nourishing one another, growing with one another. But not only this, We need to let love be our motivation. You know, if at the center of love is a selfless, sacrificial giving in order that others may prosper, then in order for me to pursue the good of another, it must be rooted in gospel, Christ-centered love. It ought to bother me to see a brother who is not thriving in his walk with God not for the reason of the inconvenience of dealing with his immaturity or her immaturity and the way that it impacts me, but for the desire to see Jesus flourish in their hearts. I need to love them enough to speak into the faith of their lives. And if I'm unwilling to embrace that awkwardness, then I'm not ultimately loving like Jesus. I'm not committed to this concept of living in a harmonious way with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to let love be my motivation I need to let Jesus be my example. You know, as Paul is faithful here to quote Psalm 69.9, and we're not gonna talk a ton about this verse here in this text, but he reminds us of the example set by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who had the divine right to ultimately please himself. He had the right and yet he seated it in order that he might bear our griefs and carry our sorrows all the way to the cross, forgiving our sins, canceling our debt, and thus uniting his people for all eternity to the Father. Amen? You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus willingly set aside his own interests to serve the will of the Father. And as followers of Jesus, so must we. Loving like this takes work. And if you're like me, I'm sure you're feeling a sense of overwhelmedness as you consider the challenges of living in such a way, in such harmony with one another. Where do we find our strength? Well, our motivation for this task, I think, is found in our text. The first thing that we see in regards to living in this way, one, I think we see that it is our obligation. We see this in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, why would Paul say this? It's our obligation. Well, I think it's simple. The forgiven must forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Bear with the failings of the weak because he has borne with your failings. While we were still sinners, we were enemies of him, he loved us. He demonstrated his love for us by giving his very life for us. The forgiven must forgive. The loved must love. John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that that you have love for one another. The way that you care, the way that you live, the way that you throb for one another and the glory of God in your relationships demonstrates your commitment to the gospel. Paul says in verse 3 that Christ did not please himself, but he faithfully endured the reproach of men. He, his desire for me would be that I would embrace his example and seek to walk in his steps, as the Apostle Peter says. This obligation is born out of the immensity of love and kindness and forgiveness that's been poured out on us. None of us are deserving of God's mercy. None of us have earned one ounce of the favor that he poured out on us. None of us have merited anything but eternal wrath of God and separation from him for all eternity. So how am I to respond to such love? We talked about this idea of obligation. The principle is simple. Grace to me, grace to you, right? Just as God has ransomed my heart, just as God has blessed my soul, just as God has been patient and long-suffering with me, his understanding, his expectation is that I would extend it to my brothers and sisters in Christ. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. But not only that, it's foundational to our hope. In verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This radical Christ-centeredness was meant to spur us on. It was meant to bolster our faith through faithful instruction of the word and unwavering perseverance in the midst of affliction. Furthermore, failing to lean in in this way leaves us alone and destitute in our struggles. Satan would love nothing more than to see you crushed, in your weakness? Where do you find hope in the struggle? Well, I think we find hope, and we were designed to find hope through leaning into the community of faith, because as we lean in, we're receiving the edification, we're receiving the teaching, the sound instruction, the encouragement of the word, the the push to look to the cross, to look to the gospel, to look to Jesus, and that's what needs to be happening as we gather, brothers and sisters. Foundational to our hope. It's empowered by the God of endurance and encouragement. Verses 5 through 7, he writes this May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is not a strategy that you can simply will yourself to, brothers and sisters. This work is beyond our human limitations our human failures, our human shortcomings. We need the eternally existent one. We need the great I am, the God of endurance, the God of encouragement to step into our brokenness through, and through his divine power, grant us the strength we need to persevere in this way with one another. And what's the goal of all of this? Well, I think the goal, first of all, is unity. He says that together we may with one voice Glorify God. He prayed this over us in John seventeen, right? He prayed that we would be one, that we would be united in our passion for Him, and that out of that that love for Him and that deep devotion for Him, it would give me a gaze on the flocks and on the people of God, and I would see the weaknesses, I would see the pain, I would see the hurt, and just as Jesus has ministered His gospel unto me, that I would shine brightly with others and that together we would with one voice glorify God. He desires for us to have unity. He desires for us to be driven to action. He says, therefore, in light of all these truths, something I want you to do, I want you to welcome one another as God has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, we're going to wrap up our time here this morning, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we bring this to a close. And you might be asking yourself as we consider this text, what do I do with these truths? What do I do? How do I respond in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus in all of this? For some this way of life is really foreign to you because you've yet to receive the foundational gift of God that enables harmony in this way. And if you're sitting here today, if you're visiting with us today, and this way sounds strange because the gospel has yet to penetrate your hearts, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, let me, let me tell you visitors in our midst that Jesus came and he lived the life that we couldn't live because we were all sold under sin. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were in bondage. We were a slave to our sin. And because of our sin, we were destined to live a life eternally separated from the God of heaven. And God sent his son, Jesus, into this broken world in which we live. He lived the life that we couldn't live, he took on that sin debt that we all deserved. And in his grace, and in his kindness, and in his mercy, he gave us the life that he had earned. And he took on our death. He died on the cross. He paid that debt for you so that we could live and walk in obedience to him. So that we would have a basis and a grounds for this harmonious way of life with one another. And if that's the first time you've ever heard that message, I'm sure you have questions. Seek us out. We would love to talk with you and share with you about what it means to live and walk in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus. And how do you receive that gift of eternal life? But for others who have received the gospel, it's time for us to live out in a way that God intended. Live out the gospel in a way that God intended for us. For some of you who have not been doing a good job of bearing with the failings of the weak, I think the call is simple. Repent, seek forgiveness, Pursue restoration with those whom you've hurt, those whom you've sinned against, and live out the gospel in a way that God desires for you. in community. And then lastly, for those who've been faithful to build up by pursuing God's greatest good in others, or for those who have not been faithful to build up by pursuing God's greatest good in others, confess and forsake your failure and your purpose in God, and purpose in God's strength to live differently, remembering that He. Is empowering you to live in such a way. This is part of the abundant life that He has rescued for you. Embrace it that we might live in the unity that God intended for the glory of His name. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. Help us now, I pray, as we enter into our week. Help us to bring honor and glory to Jesus. Help us to live in harmony with one another, to be encouraged by your truth, to be encouragers of others with your truth, to be pressing in to the weaknesses of others, to be bearing with them, forgiving them, releasing the debts and loving them with the gospel that we might with one voice bring honor and glory to King Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.